they would sell their possessions and, and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time in the temple, together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary, I took uh, a class on world religions. It turned, to be, turned out to be one of my favorite classes because the teacher was awesome. And I was, I've always been curious about how other people worship and other religions are. And so I had a chance to learn a little bit more deeply about these other that I just had a surface knowledge on. So we had a great class. And at the end of the semester, our, our final project was that we all had to go to a worship service of a different religion. Now, hear me on this. It's not a different denomination I'm talking about. It wasn't that we went to a Baptist or a Presbyterian or something like that. It was a whole different religion, okay? We had to go to a whole different religion worship service, which was not a problem because we were in Atlanta. And you can find just about anything you want to in Atlanta in terms of religions and services and, and, and just about anything else. So we decided that we'd go in groups because none of us wanted to be the Lone Ranger in this different worship service. And so... Some of my classmates said they were going to go to the Jewish temple. Some said they were going to the Buddhist temple. Some were going to a mosque. And um, myself and my little group decided that we were going to do something different and go to a Hare Krishna worship service. And so we found the place where it's located, looked it up, and I called to uh, tell them that we were coming because I wanted them to know ahead of time and know we, we're not potential converts here. We're, we're just coming because we want to learn. They were, couldn't have been more nice to, to me and said we'd be more than welcome. And so it came the day that we were going to go. It was going to be on a Tuesday night, their service was. It came that Tuesday, and in class that day, all throughout the day, one by one, these classmates of mine came up and said, you know, something's come up, and I'm not going to be able to go. All, every one of them backed out. Okay, so I'm at a crossroads. I have to decide, am I going to go ahead and go and go by myself? Or am I going to wait until somebody can go with me? And I decided I wanted to get this out of the way, and I, wanted, I had to write that paper. So I was just going to go, you know, just hope for the best. So I, I drove up to the temple where it was located. I was on South Ponce de Leon and in the Drew Hills area, if you know anything about Atlanta. It was in a what used to be a residential home, a beautiful old home in a beautiful area. And so I got out of the car, and as I walk up to this place, I notice these people in yellow robes, and they have shaved heads except for one little ponytail in the back. And they're, they're walking back and forth, praying, holding what looked to me like prayer beads. I didn't know what it was. And so they saw me come up. I introduced myself and told them what I was there for. And two of them said, okay, come with us. And they lead me not to the front door, but around into the backyard. And at this point, I'm starting to get a little bit nervous, okay? This is, I'm just a country boy, and this is real different for me. So we go into the backyard. I'm a little bit nervous. Go in the back door, down in the basement. And now I'm getting more and more nervous. And, and we come to a door that leads up into what used to be the house, you know? So we go up this narrow, dark stairway, and we get up to the top, and they said, you have to take your shoes off. Now my hands are sweating. I'm just telling you. I, I, I didn't know what to expect. 
We go into this area, and it was a, a, a big open area. It used to obviously be a, a large living room and a large dining room that they had made into one big worship space. And the, the two people in the yellow robe that took me up there said, okay, worship service starts in 15 minutes. Make yourself at home. And so they left, and I thought, oh, good. Now I can snooze. You know, I can look around at all of this stuff without feeling self-conscious. And I did. I looked at everything all around the walls. There was a big uh, statue of Krishna, their main god. There were a bunch of different statues and pictures and portrayals of demigods. Their uh, Krishna statue had flower petals all around it. And it was very ornate and very gilded and very fancy. And you could tell that they had put a lot of effort into making this space, uh, the sacred space for them that it was. And so I went over, found me a place in the corner, sat down on the floor with my back against the wall because I didn't have like benches or, or pews or anything. And so here's how the worship service went down. People started filing in uh, just a little at a time. And some of them had yellow robes on with the shaved heads and all. Some of them just in street clothes. Some of them had this kind of yellow paint that went down between their eyes. Uh, some of them didn't. And they came in and many of them uh, picked up these um, dehembe-looking drums and hung them over their necks and started with uh, the drums. And they started singing uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, just, just singing. And I was sitting over there watching all this. And to be honest with you, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking of that George Harrison song. My sweet Lord, Hare Krishna. Y'all heard that one, haven't you? So that's what I'm thinking while they're up there singing. And as they go on, the singing gets a little bit louder and it gets a little bit faster and the dancing gets a little bit more energetic. And pretty soon they're singing loud and fast and they're dancing and spinning and just kind of almost like a frenzy. And then all of a sudden it just stops. Everything stops. Everybody's quiet. And everybody gets down on the floor and prostrates themselves on the floor in prayer for a few minutes. I'm over there taking mental notes because I have to write a paper on all of this. And then after a while, they all get up, and the leader, who is a, an African-American man from Atlanta that I had met, and he has taken on uh, the kind of the Hindu name that was about that long that I could never pronounce, and he saw my confusion, he said, you can just call me Benny. So <laughs> Benny gets kind of in front, and he has everybody sit crisscross applesauce in front of him, and he takes their sacred text, the Bhagavad Gita. And in case you don't know much about um, Hare Krishna, uh, their sacred text, text is the Bhagavad Gita, which is really a long poem and a message from uh, Krishna to a soldier named Arjuna. And it's, um, that's their, their text that they go through. There's very, uh, a lot of similarities between uh, Hinduism and Hare Krishna. And in a nutshell, their goal is to, they believe in reincarnation. In a nutshell, their goal is to break the cycle of being reincarnated over and over again and, and be with Lord Krishna forever. That's their, their goal. So Benny takes the Bhagavad Gita and he reads a passage and he explains the passage a little bit. And then he connects it with uh, something contemporary that's going on that he read in the uh, in the. Uh, Atlanta Journal newspaper that day um, and then after it was all over with they invited me for refreshments and they're vegetarians very very strict vegetarians and so some of the things they had for refreshments wasn't what 
I recognized, so I, I politely took my plate. I didn't really eat it, you know. But they could not have been nicer to me. And then I got in my car and started the long drive back to Alabama. And while I was going down the interstate, all of these things were swirling around in my mind. All of the sights, all of the sounds, all of the smells, because they had incense going. All of this was going around in my mind. Uh, but one thing that really stuck me was right before I walked out the door, I asked Benny a question. I said, Benny, what's up with the yellow robes? He said, oh, you mean our devotees? Well, these are people who have completely sold everything, all of their possessions, and they live right here, and they dedicate their lives 100% to prayer and worship and selling carnations, bulls, roses, and carnations, in order to raise money for our charity. That's their whole life. So I was thinking about this, driving down the interstate, and really what stuck inside of me was, you know, am I that devoted? Do I, do I, do I have that kind of level of de devotion to God? And, and it got me to thinking about being devoted. So uh, the first thing I want to say about devotion is without intentional devotion, we will not grow in our spiritual lives. That's just it. It doesn't happen by accident. What I mean when I say devotion is I'm talking about what it says the disciples had in Acts 2.42. It says the early church devoted themselves. That's a very powerful word in the, in the original Greek. And here's what it means. It means to endure. It means to tarry, to remain somewhere, and to continue steadfastly with someone or something to be devoted to be devoted means to stick to something, to stick with something, someone, to keep on practicing something. So whatever we're devoted to produces an outcome in our lives. It, it produces fruit in our lives. And I want you to, just for a few minutes, consider this early church that had just started. It just started right after the day of Pentecost. And I want you to look and see the fruit of the way that they lived, and then we're going to trace that fruit back to the root, and we're going to look at why they were producing that fruit. Here's in verses 43 through 47 that we just read. Here's what they did. Here's how they lived. It said that they were filled with wonder and awe. It said they shared with each other and with those that were in need. It said that they joyfully worshipped, praising God together, and they enjoyed meals together, and that they enjoyed the goodwill of all of the people around them. And it said finally that the Lord added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved, added to their numbers daily. Wow. Does that sound like a church you'd like to be a part of? It does to me. It, it's, it's, that was the early church. That was the fruit of their, of, of their devotion. And what was at the root of their devotion? It was what they were devoted to. So to what was the early church devoted? It says they were devoted to four things. It said they were devoted first to the apostles' teaching. And what's up with apostles? What do they mean by the apostles' teaching? If you remember back in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus told them to go to all nations to make disciples, and he told them to do this, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
So really, the apostles' teaching was nothing more than Jesus' teaching. They were passing on to others what Jesus had told them. And how do we find out about what Jesus said and what Jesus did? We do it by studying what Jesus taught and what Jesus did, by studying our, our Bible. And I remember what I said about devotion. Devotion means sticking to something. It means being steadfast and sticking to something. It just doesn't happen accidentally. As a matter of fact, I would say that there is a real problem in our society today uh, with what I would just call biblical illiteracy. We just don't read it. Um, a survey that I saw, a Barna research survey, said that 93% of all Americans own at least one Bible, but that 70% of non-Christians and 23% of Christians say that they never read them at all. Never read them. So contrast that practice with the practice of the early church that was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Is it any wonder why this produces one fruit and what the early church did produced a different fruit? They were devoted. The second thing was to fellowship. You see, God, who is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created us in his image for community. Not to be alone, not to be lone rangers. That's why learning happens best in groups. We have journey groups. If, if you will you know, look in your bulletin, you will, we have them all listed there, all the journey groups listed there. If you go to our church app or to our church website, you can see all of these different ways. Because we learn better and we can encourage one another and support one another and hold one another accountable in groups the way we can't do in any other way. So fellowship. In the early church, fellowship involved sharing a meal together. And I, for one, am glad that fellowship continues to uh, involve serving a meal together. And growing up in Alabama, fellowship time at church usually involved fried chicken and banana pudding. I'm all in favor of that. Fellowship on Tuesday nights at Mosaic involves red beans and rice and bread pudding. Again, I'm all in favor. Count me in. But there's something that happens when you sit around a table with somebody and you share a meal together and you have a conversation and you hear from them and they hear from you and somehow all of that together produces growth on the inside that you can't get just sitting by yourself. Fellowship. The third is the breaking of bread. And in this case, we're talking about Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, the church was devoted to sharing this, uh, this uh, holy sacrament that Jesus instituted on the night that he had the Last Supper with his disciples. And so we are devoted here at Gaston First United Methodist Church. We're devoted to sharing the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we invite everybody. When we have the Lord's Supper, we invite everybody to come, young and old, you know, member and guest, seeker and longtime Christian. We invite everybody because this is important. In the Wesleyan tradition, Holy Communion is a sacrament, okay? It's not just something we do, an ordinance. It's a sacrament. In other words, it's a way that God's grace comes into our lives. It's an, it's an outward sign, bread and juice, of something inward that God does in our lives. We can't explain how that helps us grow. It's a mystery. But somehow, some way, doing that feeds our soul and it helps us to grow. John Wesley uh, took communion every week 
and at times, in certain times of the year, he took communion every day, like on the 12 days of Christmas. He took it every day. Here's what he said in one of his sermons about Holy Communion. He said that Holy Communion was the grand channel whereby the grace of his spirit was conveyed to the souls of all the children of God. A means of grace, a channel where God conveys grace directly inside of us. Breaking of bread. And then the final thing that we're devoted to is prayer. You remember the definition of devoted that I've used. It says to be steadfast and to stick to something. So in terms of prayer, it means to be steadfast and not just use prayer as something you do in an emergency. To not treat prayer as if it's your spare tire that you only dig it out when you have a flat in your life. Um, but to be steadfast, to stick to it to be devoted, whether you feel like it or not, to keep that dialogue uh, open and going with God all day long. There's a little book I would recommend to you if you, if you enjoy reading or if you, or if you don't. Uh, read it anyway. Have somebody read it to you. It's called The Practice, the Practice of the Presence of God. And it was written uh, by a guy named Brother Lawrence who was uh, a Carmelite lay brother who lived in a monastery in the 1600s. And he had a very simple life, as you can imagine. Uh, lots of manual labor, but he was always really interested in prayer. And he found something that was so powerful about prayer that it still touches my life 300-something years later. His prayer was, and his desire was, to be constantly aware of God's presence every moment of his day and to keep a constant open dialogue with God every moment of his day so that his prayer time looked no different from any other time of his day. And he wanted to do everything that he did, no matter, no matter how small and, and menial the, the chore was, he wanted to do it purely for the love of God. Whenever he was considering doing a good deed, he would stop and he would ask God, he would say, Lord, I'll never be able to do this unless you help me. And whenever he would sin, he would stop and he would turn to God and he would say, Lord, I can do nothing better than this without you. I'll, I'll never get better without you. And then he would ask God to forgive him and to please help him from falling again and to correct the mistakes that he made. And then he would go on with his day with absolutely no guilt. He was devoted to prayer. And it showed in the fruit of his life. People came from miles and miles around to talk to Brother Lawrence. The early church was devoted to prayer, and the fruit of that was visible to everybody around them. The fruit was, well, the fruit was growth. It was inner growth, bold growth in their spiritual life, and it was bold growth of the church. The church spread like wildfire because of what they were devoted to. I'll say it again, without intentional devotion, Growth is just impossible. It's just not going to happen. And the last thing I want to tell you is this. Bold growth happens best in journey groups. Bold growth happens best in journey groups. And I bet I'm not telling you something you don't already know. I bet just instinctively, you know deep down in your heart that if you're really going to grow in your spiritual life, the best way to do that is to connect with a small group. We're just, we're made that way. We're made for community. We're hungry for it. Even if we don't realize that, we're hungry for it. And here's the paradox. That we both have a hunger for connection 
and that somehow we live in a culture that is more isolated than ever before. Robert Putnam uh, wrote a book about this called Bowling Alone. And he writes that over the last 25 years, we have seen people become more and more isolated. And here's just an example. Uh, civic club memberships like Kiwanis Club, Lions Club, Rotary uh, have declined by 58% over the last 25 years. Some of you are members of some of these civic clubs and you've seen membership down, 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 down like that. Uh, another example, families eating together at, at, at dinner time has decreased from 50% of the time doing that to about 34% of the time doing that. And we're quickly becoming, he says, a, a generation of people who live cocooned lives tethered to our home entertainment systems, barricaded behind our security alarms, isolated even from the people in our own homes. Wow. Are you feeling any of that? Does that hit home for you? Because it does to me. And I'll, I, I mean, I have been guilty of this, of texting my children and telling them it's time for dinner because we're all scattered, right? And we're all under the same roof. Growth happens in community. It happens in community, both as a person and as a spiritual being. It happens in community. So let me ask you this. Would you consider becoming part of a journey group in this church if you're not already? Would you take a look at, at the list of, of opportunities in the insert in your bulletin or go by the church website or the church app and Click on connect. If, you, if you've been hesitating, would you be bold enough to take that little next step and just try it out and just see what God would do. Just see what God will do. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have been clear to us that going together and studying together in groups is what it takes to grow. It's why Jesus surrounded himself with his 12 apostles and why the early church met together in homes and had fellowship and prayer and breaking bread. Lord, it's, it's why the early Methodist church was so powerful and had their band meetings and class meetings. And it's still the same today. So God, help us. Help us to take that step and just see what you'll do in our lives. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing uh, number three.